Guys, as most of you know, we're going to study, Lord willing, the the book of Galatians. And last week, um, I introduced the whole uh, book and why I felt led to it. Um, But I made quite a a deal out of um, the preface that is written by Martin Luther to his his commentary on the book of Galatians. Um, I I think I said this last week, but the, the, the preface has somewhat taken on a life of its own. Um, uh, the, the preface is... <laughs> not, 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 I'm not saying that Paul wrote it. I'm saying Martin Luther wrote a preface to his commentary. And in that preface, um, he introduces some themes, uh, and, and it appears that the themes are... are, are they're, they're designed to help you under, ultimately understand the message of the book of Galatians. There are certain things that... Are introduced. They're not introduced, but they're contained in the book of Galatians that you've got to get right, or you'll never really grasp the gospel. For instance, the role of law. What place, if any, does the law have um, in in the Christian's life? And and that's one of the. I don't think he calls them theses. It's just one of the. Um, kind of the foundational pillars that you components that you've got to get right, or you'll never understand the broader um, appeal of the gospel. Um, he has several of those. And I'm now uh, keep this straight. I'm not saying that Paul wrote that. I'm saying that when when Martin Luther got ready to explain the book of Galatians, he saw fit to introduce the book by making sure that we understood certain words. Words that are necessary. They're component parts of the whole gospel. That if you don't have these words down, you, never, you, don't, you don't get the whole thing. One of the words um, is righteousness. Uh, I'm not going to write the whole thing. The word righteousness. Um... What, what in the world is, what is righteousness? Well, guys, just to give you um, a clinical kind of definition, um, righteousness has to do with the conformity to law. Um, it, is, it is right actions. It's, um, it's meeting standards. Now, that said, Christian righteousness is different from all other kinds of righteousness. For instance, guys, there's a cultural righteousness. Um, you know, our, our parents taught it to us. Our, our society teaches, uh, and our, our, our culture teaches us to, uh, to be good citizens. Um, patriotism uh, is a good thing. Um, like a good neighbor. Uh, there's a cultural righteousness. There's a... Um, there's an ethical righteousness, uh, just uh, observing the Ten Commandments. And, and neither of those things are bad. They only become bad when we attribute to them a power to satisfy God for our sin. When you, when you view those things as having um, merit in them, that is, Patriotism. Is patriotism a bad thing? Of course it isn't. But if, if being a good citizen 
um, is, is that which you think will satisfy the demands of righteousness, you, you missed it entirely. Um, those, are, those are fine things as long as you never make them into something that they're never supposed to be. Guys, um, Christian righteousness is a righteousness that is either of or by faith. That, that's a phrase that is really repeated more often in the book of Romans than it is in the book of Galatians, but it is found in the book of Galatians. But the whole idea that righteousness is by faith, that is a concept, ladies and gentlemen, that if you don't get, you'll never get the Christian message. Um, here's another one of those words that you've got to get. Christian righteousness is imputed. Guys, that's not a big word. That's not a, you know, a six-syllable word. It's not a hard word. But Christian righteousness is imputed righteousness. Um, let me just use this word, credited. Um, it's, it's a righteousness. Um, uh, Martin Luther called Christian righteousness an alien righteousness. Alien in the sense that it didn't belong to me. He also used this phrase, extra nos. Um, it was apart from us. It was, it, was, it, was, um, it was alien to us. It was somebody else's righteousness. It was a righteousness that gets imputed, credited to us um, based on nothing that we have done. Um, we, we don't do anything to get this righteousness, nor do we give anything um, to purchase it, to, re- to acquire it. Um, it's imputed. It's not earned. It's not, it's not performed. It's not bought. It's imputed. Now, in that sense, Christian righteousness is is passive. It's not active. That is, I, I don't I don't produce it. I receive it. Um, it's a gift. In fact, Romans chapter five verse seventeen calls righteousness a gift. So in that sense, it's not. It's not active. It's, it's, it's passive. It's something that I receive. Now, gang, the, 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 the text that immediately comes to many of your minds, I hope, is this one. Um, but, of course, it introduces this term, faith. But I just got through telling you that Christian righteousness is righteousness by Faith. And then we turn to this text, which says something like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, guys, um, I, I, have, I have done this. I think I've done this before. But if, you, if you'll just flip real quickly over to Ephesians 2. Um, 
Um, and we're going to give you a, a New Testament lesson as well as an English lesson here. Um, there's a couple of things that I want you to see just by way of the, the, the English language. Verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. Now, guys, um, just a moment ago, I said that Christian righteousness is not active, it's passive. Well, in that verse, verse, you get a passive verb. For by grace you have been saved. You see that. Do you know the distinction in the English language between an active verb and a passive verb? Um, a passive verb is, no, an active verb is, I shaved this morning. Uh, a passive verb is, I was shaved this morning. The passive verb communicates that I sat on a stool and Susie came into the bathroom and shaved me. She did something to me. The verb that you find here is for by grace you have been saved. That's a passive verb, ladies and gentlemen. Just like this righteousness is not active, it's passive, it's saying here that this whole thing called salvation is something that has been done to you, not done by you. Now, keep reading. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and um, this translation, and this is not your own doing. Now, guys, there's the word this. And... um, I remember somebody asking me this in my systematics class, and I really gave them a the wrong impression. I went back and, but anyway, this is a pronoun. Or this <laughs> is a pronoun. Pronouns have nouns to which they refer. That word is called an antecedent. <laughs> pronouns have antecedents. Pronouns have nouns to which they refer. When the text says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, or this is not of yourselves, what is this pronoun referring to? Well, you would think in the Greek language that you'd be able to figure that out pretty, but it's not that easy. Some of you immediately would say, well, it refers to the faith. And you would be wrong. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Oh, that that refers to the faith. No, it doesn't. It refers to the whole thing. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that <laughs> is the gift of God. All of it. All of it, ladies and gentlemen. Um... Christian righteousness is unlike any other righteousness because all other righteousnesses are active. They're, they're earned, they're produced, they're, they're, um, um, they're bought. But Christian righteousness is righteousness by faith. Now, um, I, I want to spend... You know, guys, uh, there's a lot of ways to come to Christ, but there's only one way to come to God, and that is by faith. And so that's another one of those words that we've got to get right. 
And, and, and so let me, let me have a brief excursus just to, just to talk about the word faith for a moment. Because Christian righteousness is righteousness of or by faith. So not only do I have to understand this word, but I got to understand that word too. Okay, so um, tell me, why did you exercise faith? Why did you even desire a relationship with God or with Christ? Um, Was it because you were wiser than your neighbors? Were you smarter than the next bunch and so you just, you figured it out and so you, you went out and made the decision. Why did you desire Christ? Because you were smarter? Oh no. Tell me, what kind of man turns to Christ? You know what the answer to that is? No man. No man left to himself will ever turn to Christ. Here's the testimony, says John, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Left to himself, man will always desire evil. Um, do you remember the statement um, in Jeremiah 13 about uh, can the leopard change its spots? Can the Ethiopian change the color of its skin? What's the answer to that question? No, no, no. Can a man change his heart? No. So, guys, stay with me. So something has got to happen. Someone has got to intervene to rescue me from myself. And I want you to see that in all of its beauty. It's in Ezekiel 36. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to go to Ezekiel 36. Left to himself, man will always love darkness. So some kind of intervention has got to take place to rescue me from myself. Okay, there's got to be an intervention. Let me read this to you. Um, Verse 25, I'm in Ezekiel 36, 25. God is speaking and he says, well, you can see it up in verse um, 23. It says, declares the Lord God, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will, and and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Guys, repentance and faith are signs that this took place in you. Repentance and faith are evidences that the intervention that was so needed has occurred. The intervention comes in the form of 
God taking out a heart of stone and replacing it with a brand new one. There's your intervention, ladies and gentlemen. And once that intervention takes place, the evidences of that having occurred is that we exercise faith and repentance. Um, you know, I, I bet you've read this, not this one, but this one over in 1 Corinthians 4. I bet you've read it a dozen times. Um, it's 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And um, the Apostle Paul asks or confronts us with this question. What do you have that you did not receive? Now, what's the answer to that question? <laughs> Everything that you have, you received. But I think our minds kind of immediately shift into the material Oh, okay, well, the car that I got, uh, you know, God gave it to me. And the house, oh, and the wife, and those kids, oh, yeah, God gave it. But And that's all true. But there's some other things that he gave you as well. Do you have faith in this Christ? It's because you received it. Um, have you the righteousness of faith, Christian righteousness? It's because you received it. It was a gift. It was the result of this intervention that is being described in Ezekiel 36. I will put a new heart in you. Who's talking there? God's talking. And he comes to a, to a person whose heart is as dead as a rock. And he says, unless left to yourself, you'll always love darkness. And so somebody's, something has got to intervene. And so God intervenes. He replaces that hard heart and gives you a flesh, a one that's alive. And the evidence is that he did that is faith and repentance or conversion. Um, guys, that's the only possible way that you and I can ever discuss faith as being a gift. That faith follows this thing. In the New Testament, they call it regeneration. In fact, Ezekiel 36 is called the John 3 of the Old Testament. Faith comes after this great intervention on the part of God. Now, why is it that faith has to be a gift? <laughs> well, two reasons. First of all, it's got to be a gift so that God will get all the credit for having saved you. The other reason that it's got to be a gift is so that you won't take credit for having saved you. It's got to be a gift. Ephesians 2 says it is. Ezekiel 36 says it is. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says it is. Uh, Acts 11 says it is. That is, that the righteousness 
that uh, is Christian righteousness, so unlike all others, is a righteousness that is passive. It's, it's, it's alien. It's extra nos. It's, it's, some, it's a gift. All of it is a gift, ladies and gentlemen. Now, i got to hasten. I, I, guess it, I guess it should go without saying, but let me say it anyway. It's a faith that, of course, is placed in the right object. Um, that object being Christ and him crucified. But, you know, people... Um, um, I think I, th- I think people have a hiccup right about there when we talk about placing faith in um, in Christ and Him crucified because Christ and Him crucified is so I've never seen Him I've never met Him I've never I've never been introduced um, I've never had a meal with Him it's hard I I, I think perhaps, to think that the object into which faith must be placed is a person, because we don't have the person. But we do have his statements. When you trust a statement, you trust a person. Let let, let me try to illustrate that very poorly. Um, This afternoon, my phone rang and it was a friend who called, and we exchanged pleasantries in the beginning, and um, and then we uh, arranged a a lunch appointment. But our only connection was words. We made the appointment. We said a couple of silly things and said goodbye, and off we went. Now, would it be fair to say? Do you think? that I was in touch, let's just call the guy Joe, it's not his name. Would it be fair to say that I was in touch with Joe for those few minutes on the phone? I didn't have him. I only had words. But you see, when you trust a statement, you are trusting a person. I am never closer in contact with a person than when I hear his words, assuming that his words are true. I mean, he could be lying to me, but assuming that the words are true, um, he is expressing and exposing a person. And And in conveying words to me, he is conveying himself to me. Now, having said that, What kind of person makes a statement like this? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Or what kind of person makes a statement like this? Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up. You know, what kind of person makes a statement like that? Now, it was that very question that led C.S. Lewis to develop that thing that you've all heard about. You know, he is either a liar or or a lunatic or Lord. What kind of person makes a statement 
that says, no man can come to the Father but by me. Um, I, I'm not a huge Flannery O'Connor fan, um, but my daughter is. My daughter likes literature of all sorts. And uh, she bought me this years ago. Um, you know Flannery O'Connor? She died in like 64, 1964. Um, she's a Roman Catholic. Um, uh, never married. She died at age 39 of lupus, by the way. How about that? But uh, she, wrote, she had two books in print, but her, she, she won all kinds of awards for her short stories. Um, made a movie out of um, a couple, one of them, well, they made a movie out of a couple of her short, sto- short stories, but um, maybe you've heard of this short story, A Good Man is Hard to Find. You ever read that, that short story? I mean, <laughs> it is dark. Um, not about, and it's, the, the title is somewhat misleading. Um, it, it's about this family goes on vacation. They live in Georgia. Grandma wanted to go to Tennessee, and her son wouldn't take her to Tennessee, and so he made her go to uh, Florida. And uh, this is, I guess, in the 50s. And, and um, Grandma didn't want to go to Florida because she had read in the news about a, a, a criminal band that was on the loose. And um, so they, on the way to Florida, they have some kind of a small car accident. They end up in a ditch. Car pulls up, and guess, who, guess who's in the car? It's the criminal. And, and there's three of them. Bobby Lee and the leader is the guy. And he's, he's, he's called the misfit. That's a, that, that, he never gets a name. That's, he's, always, he's only called the misfit. And the misfit is this, this very dangerous criminal, and he ends up, they all, he ends up shooting everybody. Pretty dark, you know? Um, but uh, she's, he's already shot her son and his wife and her two grandchildren. The only thing that's left is grandma and the kitten. Uh, I think he lets the kitten live. But um, a grandma is pleading for her life. Oh, oh um, uh, what's his name? Bobby Lee takes her son and daughter-in-law out in the woods and shoots them. She hears the gun, pow, pow, pow. And, you know, she just falls down and begs her, begs the misfit not to, um, not to kill, him, kill her. And, um, and this is what the misfit says in reply to her request. Jesus was the only, and, and there's language in here, not bad language, it's just, it's, it's written like Flannery O'Connor would write it. Jesus was the only one that ever raised the dead. The misfit continued, and he shouldn't have done it. He thrown everything off balance. If he did what he said, then it's nothing for you to do but throw everything away and follow him. And if he didn't, then it's nothing for you to do but enjoy the few minutes you've got left the best way you can by killing somebody or burning down his house or doing something, some other meanness to him. You know, uh, uh, this is certainly a criminal, uh, the misfit, but he really has got a good insight here. If he did what he said he did, there's nothing for you to do but just embrace him and throw away everything what does he say? Um, and follow him. But if he didn't, just enjoy the few minutes you got left here by killing somebody or burning their house down. Now, ladies and gentlemen, at that point, the misfit is a whole lot more logical than many of us. What kind of man says... 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Come on, y'all. I mean, he's either liar slash lunatic or you are to place faith in him. By the way, really not even in him. In his statements. Because you see, when you trust a statement, you're trusting a person. We have statements. That's what we've got. And they they beckon us to embrace a person with a faith that was given to us. Um, guys, that's Christian righteousness. Um, now, does that faith have to be perfect? Well, of course not. Guys, if, if the gospel demanded that anything be perfect, we'd all be damned. We're all in this, we're all enrolled in this school of faith. Maybe I'm in the third grade and you're in the seventh grade, but we're all just learning about the beauties of the provisions of Jesus Christ for sinners like us. But you see, there's, there's, there are all brands of righteousness out there. Um, I've, I've already mentioned them once. You've got Buddhists' uh, Eightfold Path. You've got Muslims' Five Pillars. You've got uh, Judaism's Ten Commandments. Those are, those are brands of righteousness that are all active, that are all performed, that are all earned. And none of them are Christian righteousness. Christian righteousness is imputed. Guys, let me say this, and I'll, and I'll, I'll quit for the night. Um, <laughs> um, when you do something bad, um, or <laughs> I hate to be morose, but let, let's just say you're really sick, and somebody's telling you, telling you you're really sick, and <clears throat> you know it doesn't look good. When when we're <clears throat> when we're in um, a bad way, let's say, what we try to do is we try to defend ourselves by listing in our minds all of our merit. Because you know this is really bad, and I'm about to die, and and you know I, I, I did this bad thing, and and um, and the conscience is smitten, and 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 what I'm trying to do is 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 quiet my conscience by listing all of my, my very fine qualities, and then the personal enemy of your soul gets involved, and he reminds you. Of your sin. And he is relentless. 
and he begins to terrify you over reminding you of some of the things that perhaps only you know. At that point, ladies and gentlemen, your only comfort is in an alien righteousness because yours has failed. The only one that will quiet my smitten conscience is the recognition that every standard has been met, every right action has been done, Every law has been obeyed. By one, one whose righteousness is imputed to me. It's credited to me. So I can skip the list. I can put it aside because you know what? There's not a whole heck of a lot on it. I can simply flee to a righteousness outside of me. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't heard a word I said, listen to this. There is no middle ground between Christian righteousness and works righteousness. And that is one of the themes of the book of Galatians. There is no middle ground. If you do not build your confidence in and upon the work of Jesus Christ alone, then you must build your confidence in your own performance. There is no middle ground. And those two, ladies and gentlemen, are antithetical. That is, they're polar opposites. They defy each other. You don't mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that and meet in the middle. There is righteousness and there is Christian righteousness. And no righteousness is like Christian righteousness. This is all active. This is passive. This is earned. This is imputed. I get it as a gift. What a gospel. <laughs> Our Father, I do pray that you will um, help us clarify what we think, how we think it, um, how we articulate it, how, how we share it, 
how we promote it, how we preach it, um, so that men can see that uh, so much of what the world is trusting in is nothing but sinking sand. The only righteousness is Christ's righteousness that is given to us by way of sovereign gift. We ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.